Good morning, Southview. How are we? Welcome. We have a lot of people still mingling in the halls and dropping off kids and coming in, but we're going to go ahead and get started. Glad that you're with us today. If you're a guest with us, welcome. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's so good to have you with us worshiping together. Uh, if you are a guest, again, a special welcome and thank you to you for being with us today. We'd love to connect with you. Best way you can do that is to simply grab your cell phone. And text the word CONNECT to our number on the screen. Just text CONNECT to 910-424-1298. 
that will get you set up uh, in our system just so we can know that you're here and how we can minister to you in the best way possible. But for everyone, we've got our big three announcements of what the Lord is doing around here. Big three things we want everyone to know about. First is this, VBS starts tomorrow. Yes, so we've been working very hard as you walk around. You see everything in the hall, all the decorations, everything going on. So we'll be cranking that up tomorrow. Uh, if you have not registered your child yet, we encourage you to go ahead and do that. You can do that tomorrow when you bring them or throughout the week when you bring them. We encourage you to do that early if you can. Again, to, text, to, to, to register, just text VBS to the number 910-424-1298. Follow the prompts. And uh, register your kids, then have them here tomorrow, 630, uh, to start VBS. And so it's going to be a great week. Uh, second big announcement, Daddy-Daughter Dance. That's June 19th. Same thing for that. To sign you and your daughter up, text DANCE to 910-424-1298. Text DANCE to get you and your daughter signed up. going to be a great night, a lot of fun, wonderful opportunity for dads to just uh, spend some time with their daughters and encourage them. And so... June 19th, don't forget that, sign up for that. And then last big announcement, July 4th is on a Sunday this year. We're going to have just one service at 11 o'clock. So if you come at 930, you can, but you're just going to get a really good seat, all right? You're going to be here early. But 11 o'clock, one service, July 4th, come hang out, and then we'll all go to your house afterwards for a hot dog. Deal? Good deal. All right. But so glad that you're here worth worshiping with us today. One more quick announcement. After the 11 o'clock service, we're going to have a very quick um, family business meeting to reallocate some funds for a, an AC uh, replacement we need to do in the FLC. So that's going to be a meeting directly at the 11 o'clock in the FLC uh, to do that. So don't forget that. Um, for any other announcements that we have, you can download our app. Uh, iTunes or Google Play, download the app that's going to how you can give online. We encourage you to give through the app. Um, you can find Journey Groups, that's our small group ministry. You can find that through the app. Any other announcements, sign up for anything, all of that, previous services, all of those things are going to go through the app. So download that, use that to stay connected with what's going on here at Southview. Uh, I want to read a scripture to you as we begin our time together. So we're going to be uh, back in the book of Acts today in chapter 11. And, and we're going to focus in on just an amazing little verse, Acts chapter 11, verse 21. It says, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. That, that first little phrase there, and the hand of the Lord was with them. We're going to spend just a little bit of time unpacking that, what that means. But I want to encourage you here this morning as we worship. We don't ask God to show up because he's already here, right? Right, I mean, we, he can't be any more here than he is here. He's omnipresent, the theological term is. In other words, he is everywhere all the time. He, he's never not in a place. In fact, the scriptures would even tell us that um, uh, while hell is the absence of God, Jesus himself is the one overseeing hell. There is nothing that escapes him so he's everywhere so we don't ask god today to be in this place as if if we don't ask him he's not here but here's the difference have you ever walked into a room and even though you're there and people know you're there you get the sneaking suspicion that they're not crazy about the fact that you're there you may be present but you're not welcome 
And so our prayer for this morning is not that we ask God that he would be here because he's already here. Our prayer is not for him as much as it is for us, that God would move in our hearts so that not only is he here, but in our hearts we welcome him here. We want him to speak to us. We want him to convict us of sin. We want to just delight in him. We want to just see him for who he is, how glorious and amazing and beautiful and powerful he is. And we're just running after him. He's already here. The hand of the Lord is present with us. The question is, in our hearts, is he welcome? So I want to encourage you to bow your heads just for a moment. I want to pray for us. And maybe if you've been in much church circles, you've heard things like Christians being people who were already believers in Christ being filled with the Spirit of God. And we see that throughout the book of Acts numerous times in Acts, people who were already believers, already sealed up with the Spirit of God at subsequent times being filled fresh with the Spirit of God. What does that mean? Again, that doesn't mean that they receive more of God. God is already dwelling inside of them in totality. 1 Peter is abundantly clear. You already have all you need for all of life and godliness in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, you've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that you're lacking. The issue is not that you need to get more of God. The question today is not do you get more of God, but does God truly have all of you? Being filled with the Spirit of God is not about you receiving more of Him. It's about you submitting more of you. Does he have everything that is you? That's our prayer for us today. He is welcome in this place because we have laid our lives, our hearts, our dreams, our goals, our desires, our bank accounts, our families, our relationships, our sin, everything at his feet and said, Jesus, this is all yours Everything is yours. My entire life is yours. You do with me whatever you want. That is someone who experiences now the hand of God resting on their life. So, Lord God, I pray that's exactly what happens for us here this morning. Not that you need to be more in this place, but that we need to be more submitted to you. I pray, Lord, for every person here that we would lay our hearts down, lay our lives down, lay our dreams down, lay our hopes down, lay everything down at you and say, Jesus Christ, it is all yours. My life is yours. My life is a blank check. You fill it in and do with it whatever you want. So I pray, God, today this is our heart. And for those of us that are struggling there, I pray, Lord, today that you would keep speaking tenderly to us, draw us to yourself, show us how great you are, and we run for you. Thank you, Jesus. Do this in us today for your glory. Pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand, guys. Let's worship the Lord together this morning. Good morning, church.
scripture tells us in Psalms, let the peoples praise you. Oh God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for your joy. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's continue to sing about his blessings.
as we come off the heels of that song, I want us to go to a time of prayer together. And that song is proclaiming, again, the greatness and glory of God through it all and how God is faithful in the midst of every situation in life. And as adults, we've walked through some situations, you've seen some things, you've had some opportunities for God to show himself faithful. You've had opportunities for you to trust God in his faithfulness. And if we're honest, we've had ample opportunity where we have not trusted God in his faithfulness. And more than likely, there isn't a single person in this room right now that doesn't have a situation in their life where you look back on it and say, boy, I wish I would have trusted God more in that. I wish I would have walked more in the faithfulness of the Lord. I wish I would have walked out more of who I know I am in Christ rather than given a dispensation. I wish that would have worked out differently. And, and for this morning, what I want us to focus in on is praying for our young people. So this is actually a pretty significant week uh, for our, our young people here at our church. We've got vacation Bible school this week. Um, the overwhelming majority of salvations that Southern Baptists experience uh, have in our convention come through Vacation Bible School, actually. That is the number one evangelistic event that uh, we as Southern Baptists have um, nationwide. And so this has the potential of being a very significant week in the lives of quite a few of our kids. All week long, hearing the gospel, hearing who Jesus is, hearing how much Jesus loves them and desires to save them and change them, make them new. Also, our teenagers going to be leaving, uh, actually, in between the first service and the second service, we've got a group of our teenagers that are going to be leaving to a Ridgecrest uh, for a camp for the week. And so, again, a, a, an amazing opportunity for them as well to be for a week uh, surrounded uh, with other students, hearing God's word, hearing the gospel, um, uh, being encouraged and discipled in the Lord. So this has the potential of being a really significant week for a lot of our kids vacation Bible school in camp happening all at the same week. And so I want to take a little bit of time this morning, and I want us to pray specifically in that direction, praying for these, these students, um, whether they're little tykes in first grade or big tykes in 12th grade, uh, praying for them that this will be a week for every one of them, wherever they are in the Lord, wherever they are in understanding the things of God, whatever, God knows all of that, that God would speak very clearly and powerfully to them that by God's grace for some, this will be a really significant week that marks them for the rest of their lives. I want to read a scripture to you. Matthew chapter 19. It says, Then children were brought to him, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. To such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. So what we see in the scriptures that Jesus loves kids, Jesus calls kids. He says to little ones like this, this is who the kingdom of heaven belongs to. So, so we want to pray this week for our, our children, for our youth, that, that Jesus Christ meets them, saves them fills them with his life, empowers them to live lives that bring glory and honor to him. 
believe that uh, young people in love with Jesus really can change the world. And so that's, that's our prayer for our young people. So if we just bow our heads just for a moment. <clears throat> I want us to pray for this. I want to give you a moment to pray for uh, a kid in your life. Right? Maybe they're younger, maybe they're older, maybe they're part of this church, going to be at VBS or where all the youth camp, or maybe they're not. Maybe it's a grandchild that lives on the other side of the country, whatever it is. But every one of us probably has a young person, a child or a teenager close to us that we care about, we love, we want to see God do great things in them. Take just a minute and lift them before the Lord. Set them before God and ask them, ask the Lord. God would do his great will and purpose in them. Just like in this scripture, Jesus would call them to himself, lay his hands on them, bless them, and make them sons and daughters in his kingdom. Take just a minute and set that before. kids to yourself here. In your word, you encouraged Timothy to not let people look down on him because of his young age, but to be an example. And I pray, God, that you would raise that up here as well. I pray, God, this week in our Vacation Bible School, Lord, that, that we will have children come to faith in you, Jesus. I pray this week that we'll have children understand the great joy that you are and they just want to build their life on you pray God for our teenagers as they go off Lord that you would Lord see some of them come to faith in you this week Jesus true genuine salvation I pray God for those who are believers in Christ they come home from this week God not that this camp is a secret to anything God but, but they'll come back know the God that you have drawn them to a deeper love and affection for you. 
trust you for this, Lord. We ask you that you'll do it. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Well, good morning again to you. Uh, I love stepping up here afterwards because when I step up at first, it looks like the rapture has happened and four of us have been left behind. And then when I step back up to preach, you're like, oh, there everybody is. Glad to have you with us. But we're going to be back into Acts chapter 11 today. Acts chapter 11. So we've been walking through the book of Acts. We took a little break from that last week as we worshiped in communion together. We're going to jump back in. Acts chapter 11. So a couple weeks ago, we were in Acts chapter 10. Uh, Pastor Brian O'Day from Pillar Church in Jacksonville, uh, North Carolina, was here preaching. Uh, did a wonderful job preaching through Acts chapter 10. And so here's basically it in a nutshell. So according to Jewish dietary laws, there were certain foods that the Jewish people were not allowed to eat, like pork and shellfish, right? They weren't allowed to eat those things. But in Acts chapter 10, Peter good Jew, loving Jesus, they saw, um, in the beginning of, of the book of Acts, in the beginning of Christianity, they really saw Christianity as just an extension of Judaism, right, which is what we're going to get into in the next couple of chapters, through this one in the next couple of chapters, understanding that's not what it is entirely. But he really saw it as sort of an extension of Judaism, it's being a good Jew, is loving Jesus, he's the Messiah, come for the Jews, and so it just all made sense, and so they still were abiding by all the Jewish rules and rituals, and also loving Jesus. But while Peter is in prayer in Acts chapter 10, God gives him a vision. And he lowers the sheets down with all of these unclean animals on it. And a voice says, Peter, take and eat. And Peter responds by saying, no, I've never in my life eaten anything that's unclean. I don't plan on starting now. No. Three times this happens. And in doing this, God is doing a couple of things. One, God is calling all food clean, which is why, in Jesus' name, we have bacon-wrapped shrimp, right? Praise God from whom all bacon flows. But the second thing, and more significant and important thing that God is doing, he's using the food uh, dietary laws as sort of an example, as sort of a springboard into a bigger thing. God is not just saying all food is clean, God is saying all people are clean. And what he's telling Peter, and when it, and an extension, what he's telling the rest of the church and us is, do not push away people that God is trying to draw to himself in salvation. There are some people that God is drawing to salvation, but the people of God were too busy trying to keep them out. So God is saying, no, 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 no. I came for all people. And so, um, if you remember with Acts chapter 10, if you were here, if you've read the story, um, God speaks to Peter and says, hey, some guys are going to come, follow them. He does. He goes to a man's house named Cornelius. He share, uh, Cornelius is a, uh, a, a Gentile. He's a Roman uh, uh, officer. He's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. Loves God, fears God, but not a Jew. Uh, Peter preaches the gospel to him and his family, Cornelius, and all of his household gets saved. Uh, the Spirit of God falls on them, and uh, it's just this amazing gospel moment. We're in chapter 11, word of that gets back to Jerusalem, and people aren't crazy about it. Like, whoa, 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 that's not okay, we're not supposed to do that. 
And so Peter then explains, here's what happened. Sheet, he tells the whole deal. Animals, uh, no, I can't. Yes, you can. Go to Cornelius. I go. I preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit falls on them. He shares the story. And then when the religious leaders, the, the Christian leaders in Jerusalem hear the story, look down in chapter 11, verse 18. Here was their response to it. Chapter 11, verse 18. Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And it says that they all praised God. In other words, when they heard the story, they were excited. And this becomes a powerful rocket ship moment for Christianity that it just explodes. This opens up the opportunity for the gospel to go to people other than those of the Jewish faith. And as a result of this, what we're going to see today is people share the gospel with people who aren't Jewish. And as a result of that, the church is birthed in a town called Antioch. And this church in Antioch becomes one of the most significant churches in the history of Christianity. One of the most important churches ever in the Christian faith. In fact, it's... You have heroes in the Bible, like some of you, you know what it's like to stick your foot in your mouth a lot, and so your hero is Peter, because Peter used to do that, but then he became humble, right? Or you're, you're, you have people in the Bible where you go, I really relate to that, I love that, they're sort of heroes of mine, I, I want to model my life after them. Antioch is my hero church. Love what God does in Antioch and what we're going to see, and so for the next Actually, a few weeks. We'll chat about it today, and then we'll do it for the next few weeks as well. We're going to be taking a look at this church at Antioch and seeing what God is doing there. And God is setting them up to be, again, a powerful, mission-sending, kingdom-advancing juggernaut. And I think it's really interesting. It's important that we're going through the book of Acts and we're seeing Antioch because I do think it lines up very well with what God is doing here at Southview. So I've shared my story a little bit with you. I'll share it a quick nutshell version one more time. Um, I never in a billion lifetimes wanted to do this. Pastor a church like Southview. Never wanted to do this. This was not on the radar screen. This was not the plan. God and I, I thought, had an understanding. I was clear. He was not. My desire was to go to somewhere off. And a place that was in desperate need of a church and start something. So um, my poor wife, she knows for years, I just harassed her with this. Right? This is what we're supposed to do. This is what we're supposed to do. And so I, I talked to people and really traveled all over the place trying to figure out where God's calling us to go. Right? New York, Boston, Los Angeles, um, uh, Vancouver, San Francisco, Salt Lake City. I'm all over the place going, no, no, no. Those places need a church. I want to go start a church. One plus one should equal two. God, let's go. Then I thought, well, maybe God's calling us overseas. None of that was lining up. That wasn't working. Maybe God's calling us overseas. So uh, um, we started doing mission work with an unreached people group in West Africa called the Akeslam. They were an unreached Muslim people group, no written language, no Christians. We only knew of two Christians, two people that converted from Islam to Christianity from inside that tribe, and they tried to kill both of them. So I thought my family totally needs to move there, right? I mean, that's, that is a no-brainer. So I went. I went to that village. I met the chief. 
He likes me and adopted me as his son. No lie. My Akeselem name is Acha. You can call me Pastor Acha if you'd like. He gave me to his second wife. It's a long story. He said, I'm going to give you land. I want you to build a house. Come live here. So I called Marie. I'm like, you wanted to build a house. I know a guy. Here we go. And I thought, I'm going to go out. The gospel needs to go out to the ends of the earth. These places and people need Jesus. They don't know Jesus. They've never heard of Jesus. I want to go tell them about Jesus. Again, this is a no-brainer. But you ever wanted to do something, but it was like you're running in quicksand. You could never get it off the ground. Like, why is this so difficult? This should be easy. And it wasn't. So then about three and a half years ago, I'm standing in my front yard cutting my grass, I think. My phone rings. It's my dad. My dad's a pastor down in South Carolina. He calls me up. And he says, hey, I got a quick question. All right. So how long have you been in ministry? A long time. So, okay. Well, I've never asked you what, what I'm about to ask you. All right. He said, um, I, I really think you should send your name to Southview Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. If you're looking for a pastor, I think you need to send them your resume. I got to be honest, I'd never heard of your church. I didn't even know where Hope Mills was. I thought it was closer to Raleigh. I had to Google it. Right? I didn't know you. I was like, so I said, I'm a good son. So I said, I, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. And I did not think about it. Completely fell out of my head. Nothing. He calls me a couple weeks later. Hey, did you do that? No, no, I kind of, no, 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 no. I'm telling you, you're supposed to do that. Do it. So I at least looked up the website at this point, and it said on there you had a little page for your, your ser- pastor search, and it said that you weren't accepting resumes anymore. So I said, all right, you're not accepting resumes anymore. Okay. So I talked to my dad again. They're not accepting resumes. So, you know, that's, they've already moved past that, that process. And, and my dad said, Brad, as, as clearly as I ever heard God tell me anything, I believe God told me, you're the pastor of that church. It just hasn't gotten lined up yet. You're supposed to send them your name. What do you say to that? So I'm like, all right, fine. So I fired off an email. And I'm not even sure. I'm pretty sure. I maybe have sent, like, my resume from high school. I don't have no idea what I sent. I just click, click, boom, send. Right? I did my, my son duty. Boom, done. I think at that point you had received, like, over 800 resumes. Not going to happen. Great. At least I can say I tried, and then I can still go back home for Thanksgiving. Right? So, perfect. And then I'll be dog two weeks later, I get an email. Hey, can you do this? Sure. Boom, boom, boom. Hey, can you do this? Boom, sure. Can you talk to us on the phone? Yeah, sure. Hey, can you come talk? Can you come meet us in person? I'm like, whoa, whoa. You did not understand our arrangement. Right? I'm supposed to send it. You're supposed to say thanks, but no thanks. And I get to go do what I'm supposed to go do. Like, this is our deal. Just like God, you weren't listening. So in the process of all that, God began to really show me some things. One, I had some pride in my heart that he had to root, root out of me. There was just personally just stuff. Um, and in the process, God began to show me something. There's real power in humbly understanding your role in God's kingdom and not trying to jump out of who God's created you to be. And in the process of all of this, as I was praying through this and, and talking with the committee and coming here and praying through all this stuff, God really kind of opened up some things to me, and I began to realize my role in the kingdom. 
My role in the kingdom is not, nor was, nor ever will be, I don't believe, to go and be a missionary in West Africa or to go start a church in downtown San Francisco. That's not God's call on my life. God's call on my life is to pastor a church like Southview Baptist so that instead of me going and planting a church, I can raise up and send out dozens of people to go plant churches. My role in the kingdom is to be a pastor sender. And when I began to kind of understand that and be okay with that and submit to that and praise God for that and lean into that, boom, the world opened up. And I believe all this is coming together because as God was showing me what my role is and God is doing the things that he's doing here at Southview and bringing us together, I firmly believe it is entirely possible that Southview Baptist Church can become one of the top sending churches in the country. I believe this congregation can be used by God to send out over the next generation hundreds of people to plant churches and be missionaries and serve in advancing the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. And so that we can look back and go, wow, that all started here, just like with Antioch. So I want us to jump in chapter 11, and this gives us a little tiny picture of what a sending church looks like. So we're going to spend a few weeks kind of chatting through this. What does a sending church look like? But we're going to start it in verse 19 and get kind of a running start on it. So verse 19, this is how it all began. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So they were being, they were going out, but they still were just sharing the gospel to Jewish people. Verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. Hellenists were Greek-speaking Gentiles. So there were some people, and I love that little phrase, some people. It always starts just with some people. It's not everybody, it's just some. There were some people who said, we're going to step out of our cultural comfort zone and go share the gospel with people that we really don't have any connection with at all. So that's what they did. Some people stepped out started proclaiming the gospel, telling these Gentiles about Jesus, people started getting saved. Because a handful of people, this is amazing, because a handful of people stepped out of their comfort zone, one of the most influential churches in the history of Christianity was started. It all begins with one or two people being willing to step out. In fact, Southview Baptist Church exists because about three decades ago, there were a handful of people who were willing to step out of their comfort zone, step out of the friends that they knew, the families that they were around, the churches that they were part of, and look here. And say, you know what? Across from the, south, the high school, all those homes are being built. Church needs to be here. Let's go start a church. Like, you are sitting in this room today because a handful of people did what they did in verse 20 stepped out of their comfort zone and said, let's go over there and tell them about Jesus. Question, 30 years from today, who's going to be able to say that about you? We exist today. God is doing this work in my family. We have a church here. God is doing this work in our neighborhood because someone in Southview Baptist Church stepped out and went outside of their comfort zone and started telling people about Jesus. 
So as you go back to chapter 11, you, you see what happens as a result. So this great work is taking shape. And so then they start bringing some pastors in to kind of lead and help shape this. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So there's this great work happening in Antioch already. Barnabas shows up, says, whoa, this is amazing, you guys are doing great, let me jump in and help see if we can keep being faithful in what God is doing. That's exactly what happened with us. Right? God's already doing a great work here. You're already um, um, faithful to the Lord. I show up and say, man, this is amazing. Let's jump in together and see what we can keep doing. As a result of this, Barnabas says, hey, I know a guy that might be able to be helpful to us. Verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So what we're going to see as we go through this over the next few weeks is this church. What makes a powerful, sending, kingdom-advancing, mission-exploding church? A handful of things we're going to see in Acts 11. One, they were serious about making disciples right there in their city. They believed God put them in that city for a reason, and they were serious and adamant about making disciples right there in their city. Second, they were serious about making disciples all over the world. Yes, they loved their city, but they didn't just stay there. Like, no, no, but there are people all over the place who need Jesus, and we're going to send out money and send out people and send out resources to do whatever we can to see as many people as possible love Jesus. They were serious about seeing disciples made at home. They were serious about seeing disciples made around the world. And the third thing is this. And all of that was made possible because the hand of God was on them. And that's where I want to focus on today. We're going to talk about making disciples in our city. We're going to talk about making disciples around the world. But before we do any of that, we've got to set a foundation here. What makes any of that possible is the hand of God resting on them. So look at verse 21. What does it say again? And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The church at Antioch did not see great results because they had the best preaching, the best music, the best ministries, the best programs. They saw these amazing results. They saw this abundant fruit because the hand of the Lord was on them. So let's chat just for a couple of minutes about this idea, the hand of the Lord. What does this mean? So whenever the Bible uses this idea of the hand of the Lord, it's describing God's presence, his power, his authority, his might, right? He's, he's doing something, right? You, you do things with your hands. And it's exactly how... This terminology is used with God. When it's talking about the hand of the Lord moving, it's being God is doing stuff. And again, like I said previously, if you're with us earlier in the service, the idea is this. You, 
God is always with us. Like the hand of the Lord, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the hand of the Lord is always on you because you're a Christian. But the question that I want to address and how do we figure this thing out is this. Even though God is always with us, even though the hand of the Lord is always on us, something unique had to be happening here because it's saying because this was happening in a unique way, God's hand on them, all this great fruit was happening. All these people were coming to faith in Christ. Something special is happening here. What is it and how do we be a part of it? One of my uh, favorite obscure verses in the Bible is found in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 48, verse 35. So we're not going to throw it up on the screen, but it's a great little verse. It's the very last verse in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 48, 35. So for the last eight chapters in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is describing heaven. He's describing the new Jerusalem that we're going to live in. right? And so for eight chapters, he talks about the walls, he talks about the streets, he talks about what it's made of, he talks about the temple, about the land, about the gates, about the people, like he's talking about all of these things, but he culminates all of that in Ezekiel 48:35. the very last verse says, and the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. The most important thing about this city was not what is in it, but who is in it. This city is special not because the streets are gold and the gates are pearl. This city is special because God lives there. The most important thing about this new Jerusalem, it's the dwelling place of God. It's the Jehovah Shema. God is there. And the same thing for us. The most important thing about you and your life is not what you do, it's who dwells and lives inside of you. The most important thing about our church is not what we do, but who lives and dwells in and among us. It is about God's hand being on us. And again, for all Christians, God is there. But the question is, again, isn't it true that for some Christians they manifest the fruit of that more than others? For some Christians, they experience that to greater degrees than others. There are some Christians where you can sense the presence of God on them. And there are other people who profess to be Christians where it doesn't feel like God's around very much. Why is that? What, think about a marriage. Every married couple on earth, there isn't a single married couple on earth that is more married than another married couple, right? Every married couple is equally married. There's no greater degrees of being married. We're all equally married. And at the same time, though, there are some couples that walk in greater intimacy and relationship in that marriage than others. Does that make sense? We're all equally married, but some live out the realities of that marriage to a greater, more powerful, beautiful level. Same thing with us and the Lord. The fact that you are in Christ, the fact that Christ lives in you, the fact that the hand of God is on you is not up for debate or option. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he is. The question for us is, are you living out and manifesting all the fullness of that? Are you experiencing the fullness of all God has for you?
for a long time in my life, I did. And I think for many of you, you're in the exact same place. And a church is not this organization, and a church is not a pastor. A church is individual people's individual people who have relationships with Jesus Christ. And the hand of the Lord will be on our church when each and every one of us individually is living out the, the, the reality of God's hand being on you, the Spirit of God living inside of you, the life of Jesus bearing out through you. You possess, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, if you're not, we'll chat about that in just a moment, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, you possess, I told you this earlier, you possess already all you need for all of life and godliness. The Spirit of God already dwells inside of you. The life of Christ is already in you. Galatians 2.20, you have died and Jesus himself is living out through you. That is your reality. This is who you are. The question is, are you living out the fullness of that? Are you experiencing that in its totality? I saw a, a documentary of Bo Jackson. I love, so I'm a kid from the 80s and 90s, right? So I just remember Tecmo Bowl. Everyone, it was a rule. No one was allowed to have the Raiders. Because you're going to get Bo Jackson and win by 40. But I saw a documentary of Bo Jackson. And Bo Jackson, if you're not familiar with who Bo Jackson was, one of the great athletes, American athletes of all time, played professional football and baseball. Uh, and so Bo Jackson, when he was a seventh grader, seventh grader, he was 6'2", 240 pounds. Seventh grader, he was a full-grown man. But never played sports. Shy kid, got beat up a lot because he wouldn't hit anyone back. And he's walking through the halls of his class, and a coach sees him and says, <laughs> what do you do? Like nothing. Well, you're going to do stuff. You're going to come play football. He's like, I don't know how to play football. I'll teach you how to play football. What I can't teach you is 6'2", 240. Right? I can't coach that. I can teach you how to carry a ball. Come on. The point was, he was... He possessed innate ability that can't be taught. But the point of that coach was, hey, I, I, I can't teach, you already had that stuff. My desire is to teach you how to harness what you have and use it on the field. Same thing for you in Christ. Listen to me very carefully. You possess already the life of Jesus Christ in fullness and totality if you trust it by faith in him. The hand of God is on you. You, do you live that out? I want to read a scripture to you and just kind of unpack it for a moment, and then we're just going to leave it and let you spend time before the Lord. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, listen to this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So listen to that one more time. I'm just going to read the back half of 12 and then 13. Listen to it. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it seems to be contradictory. It seems what he's saying is, 
you work out your salvation because God is working out your salvation. I'm sorry. What does that mean? If you put it together, it is a beautiful and profound truth that I hope will just um, light bulb moment for you. So when it says to work out your salvation, it's a mining term. Uh, the idea is there's, there's gold, but the only way gold is valuable is if it is mined out and used, right? Just gold in the ground doesn't do anything. It must be pulled out and used, and now it becomes valuable. We're introducing our kids to old TV shows from TV land, right? So um, we set them down the other day, and we watched the Beverly Hillbillies. Right? You know the story, Beverly Hillbillies, right? What's Jed doing? He's just out hunting for some food. And up from the ground comes a bubbling crude. So the whole point of that is, for generations, his family has lived on that land in absolute poverty. Not realizing that under the surface, there is wealth beyond their wildest imagination. It just needs to be pumped out and used. And then they can experience all that comes with it. Here it is for you in Christ. The hand of God is on you because you have believed by faith in Jesus Christ and you possess the Spirit of God. That has been placed in you. Your responsibility now is to pump out what has been placed in you and use it. I'll give you two words, just a little sentence. We must seek and believe. How do we live and minister under the hand of the Lord? We must seek and believe. What does that mean? Seek God, not his hand, not his work, not his fruit. We seek him. We want him. We desire him. We just know that he has placed in us all that we need for life and godliness. So we just chase after him in his word. Do you diligently spend time in his word, in prayer? Do you Faithfully spend time in prayer, seeking after him, desiring him, just wanting him, and then believing that God is going to do in you what he has promised to do. Seek and believe. I'm going to ask our band to come up. And, and today's a touch different than typical because instead of really going through the text, I just wanted to kind of just set the stage for us just for a moment before we spend time in it over the next few weeks. Everything that we're going to see will be fruitless and pointless if this truth isn't understood. How is it that they were able to experience this amazing overflow of the power of God? Because they lived as men and women submitted under the hand of God. Like I told you earlier, it's not about you need more of God. It's not that God needs to be more active in your life, more powerful in your life. You need to submit more fully to him. Are you submitted to him? He has placed in you all you need for all of life and godliness. He has put that in you already. Are you actively seeking to pump that out? He's done the work. He's asking you to now put it into effect. Are you seeking Christ? Are you believing that he is doing this work in and through 
we seek him and trust him. I want to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. We're going to enter our time together. Our band is going to sing. And we're going to ask you just to, just to stay where you are. We're not going to make you, ask you to stand or sing. Instead, I just want you to spend some time here this morning just praying. And ask yourself an honest question. Is your life a life that you can say is marked by the hand of God? Can you see the handprints of God on your life because you have submitted yourself underneath Him and trusted Him to guide you? Or, even though you are submitted to Christ, even though you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, you're still seeking to do it in your own strength, your own ability, your own effort, your own desire. God desires to guide you with His hand. God desires to have His presence, His power, His anointing, His blessing on your life. Are you submitted to Him for Him to do that? And as we collectively are submitted to Him, do that in our own personal lives, families, homes, then, boy, God's going to do that in an amazing way right here at the church. Before we can be ascending church, we have to be a submitted people. Are you personally submitted to Jesus Christ? And are you actively, daily seeking and believing that you can pump out what He has placed in you in the life of Christ and use that have that become valuable to experience a changed life for his glory. Jesus, I pray today that you would do this in your people. Convict us of what we need to be convicted of. Show us what we need to be shown. And do your good work in us for your glory. We pray this in your name. Still in your 
we just thank you that you have never failed us, never forsaken us, never turned from us. And I pray, God, today that right now in this room, God, we are a people who as we see your faithfulness, we're drawn to faithfulness. And as we see that you are pursuing us and loving us and filling us, God, that we are now submitting ourselves to live under your mighty hand and just walk in the power that you have for your people. Thank you, Jesus. Do this in your people. We ask this in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.